If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13, we're taking a break from our big, big story of the Bible sermon series to look at uh, leadership in the, in the local church today, right? And so as, as we get ready to install a new ruling elder, it's, it's, it's good to meditate on why does God structure, why does Jesus run his church this way? Why does he organize the church this way? Why do we need leaders to help us? Uh, follow Jesus. And so let's read the text and we will pray. We're going to read verses 7 to 17. And uh, this is God's word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today. Uh, His word is true and trustworthy. He speaks in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Jesus, the the forerunner, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who has forged a trail through this dry and weary land all the way to to the heavenly city and calls us to follow him. And so I pray that as we meditate on leadership this morning, we would see Jesus more clearly and see the gift of leaders that you have given us, and so that we all together might be strengthened by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews, right? I know the danger of picking up a book, we're not in. I've got to give some context. Hebrews is written to people who are weary, beat up by suffering, who feel rejected by their neighbors, by their culture, all because of their commitment to Jesus. Right? And so this pastor, this anonymous, we don't know who it is, uh, writer to, to the he- Hebrews, he's writing to these Christians who they're ready to give up, to walk away. They're considering to go back to what they were before. Um, they were, these are Jewish Christians. They're ready to abandon Jesus to go back to their, their Jewish practices. And so they're asking questions that we all ask at some point, right? Is Jesus is so great. Why is my life so difficult? And so the, the whole big picture of this letter, the writer of the Hebrews says, all right, we need to talk about Jesus. <laughs> You need to see him in, in 
see that he is better. And you also need to see, by the way, where Jesus is leading you, what he gives you. And that's, that's the summary of the whole letter, is that Jesus is better than any other alternative, uh, better than what your culture is pressuring you to believe, better than the Old Testament, <laughs> uh, that he is worth suffering shame, suffering the, the pain of being an outcast, of not being liked. He's worth going through that for because of where Jesus is leading you. He's leading you into this heavenly city, into God's full and real true presence, uh, into this eternal Sabbath rest. Uh, the journey, the destination is worth it. And so I think you can organize Hebrews. Uh, I found this helpful from a commentator. You got the first four chapters. They're saying, I need you to, I need you to see Jesus, the better prophet, better than Moses who's leading you into rest. And then in chapters 5 to 10, by the way, you need to see Jesus as the better priest He's gonna, who brings you all the way in to the full presence of God, closer than you can imagine. <laughs> he, and then chapters 11 to 13, you can look at Jesus the King who's leading you to the better city of God, uh, the city where sorrow and sighing flee, the city that cannot be shaken, that's made up of this assembly of the firstborn <laughs> where everybody is God's favorite in Christ. Right? And so the section we're in and we're coming, looking at this conclusion of the letter, right, the question that's being asked, what do weary sufferers and sinners who are prone to wander, what do they need to arrive at this heavenly city? And the answer is, from verses 7 to 17, is you need Christ-like leaders. Um, you need guides. You need someone to imitate, someone to, who's not ashamed to tell you what Jesus said, to give commands. Uh, those who joyfully keep watch over your souls, uh, they are to your benefit for this journey from this moment to this fallen world into the new heavens and new earth, to this city that is to come. And so... Let's dive into this passage and talk about leadership in the church. And the first point is to, to meditate. Why do we need leaders? Right? Why do Christians need elders? Why do we have church government where we, it's hierarchical, right? You come into a church, uh, at least a Presbyterian church, and it's not a democracy, right? It, there's, there's a plurality of elders who run the church uh, who have been voted and appointed by the congregation. Right? And part of it, why we need leaders, uh, here's a statistic to get you thinking. I heard in the last week from Barna that, there, that in the American church, 80% of Christians have never been discipled. They've never had a guide. Right? To say, remember your leaders, they, they don't have a category for that. They don't have a mentor, someone to to watch, to pay close attention to. It's just them and Jesus. Right? And to which, I, I mean, that, that reality I equate, like imagine you spent your whole life in New York City and then you get dropped in the middle of a desert and say, you've got to find your way back to the city. And you have no guide. And they say, by the way, you've got to find water. You've got to tame that camel that's running away from you. You've got to accurately identify the quicksand because that could get you at any time. And there are wild animals, jackals, lions, that will eat you, and you've got to figure out which direction you're going. Right? 
And yet 80% of Christians say, I have no guide, no leader, no, no one to follow, much less someone who says, I am willing to bear the responsibility to watch over your soul. And then you add, all right, this is the pushback, I think, from Christians in, in the American church in general is, why do I need someone else to watch over my soul? That's my job. It's just me and Jesus. All right. And then you add just the reality that because of the nature of authority, uh, we don't like authority, and everybody has memories of when authority has been misused or abused. Uh, when power was used to by leaders in the church to serve themselves rather than serve others. And yet despite all that, <laughs> right? Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, observe closely their way of life. That's what it means to consider their way of life, the outcome. Imitate their faith. And he gets even more particular, you should obey and submit to them, those who are serving joyfully because they're there for your benefit. Right? So what is the benefit? Why do we need leaders? Um, why command church leadership and submission to that leadership in a letter where those are, people are ready to just tap out on the church and leave the gospel? And I think you get two reasons here in, in this section. You see in verse 9 the, the attraction of other teachings. We need someone to help us navigate all the different worldviews out there. And we need someone to show us how to deal with being an outcast, which is part of following Jesus, how to deal with shame. So let's look at this. We need leaders, according to the writer of the Hebrews, that can show us that Jesus is better than what the culture is demanding you believe in order to fit in. Right? We need leaders that are able to show you why Jesus is better than what the culture the cultural moment is saying you need to be like and to believe in order to be cool, in order to have power, in order to be in, right? Because that's what verse 9 says in the context of leadership, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, right? It's something that it's probably assuming the language of sheep, right? We're, we're people who are prone to be led, and you're either going to be led toward Jesus and toward the heavenly city, or you're going to be led away from him. And this is cautioning these Christians, don't let yourself be led away by these diverse and strange teachings. And that word diverse is really interesting. Uh, it means literally many colored, right? So you remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph, the youngest of 12 brothers, and his father says, you're my favorite. And he makes him this multicolored robe. And all the brothers look at Joseph and say, uh, I hate that guy. <laughs> I want, they're, they're looking at him with jealousy because of the beauty of the robe, right? Because the father did this extravagant thing. And because he was seemingly more well-liked, right? And so I think what this is getting us to think about is there are all kinds of diverse ways of looking at religion and looking at the world out there, and they are attractive. Right? They look good. They sound good. And if you are attracted to them, you will fit in. Right? If, you, if you cave in, you'll, you'll sound like everyone else around you. You'll feel like the favorite. But then he throws in that other word. They're strange. They're foreign. 
uh, foreign to Jesus, foreign to the scriptures, and foreign to the gospel. Right? And the, the haunting picture is that even though everyone else says this is cool, and this is, this is what is right, they're going to lead you away from Jesus, away from the church, and ultimately away from hope, away from the city of God, and away from God's presence, right? Because they're strange. And so that's why we need leaders. How do you navigate that? You need leaders that know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? That statement is not just a systematic statement. It's in the context of the life of the church. We need leaders that know Jesus is better than all the strange and diverse teachings out there. Right? I mean, for the original hearers, they had immense pressure to go participate in the life of the temple. They're, they're, they're Hebrews. They, they know their Old Testament, and they want to blend in. And the moment they stand up and say, Jesus is the Messiah, he is Lord, that immediately came with the pressure to, say, to abandon that. Right? Say, Jesus is not the Messiah. He was crucified. Right? So they had all this pressure to stop talking about Jesus to the point of losing jobs, losing homes, family members betraying them. Some were thrown in prison. Some were vi- violently harmed or just kicked out of the city of Jerusalem. Like it, 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 it's a painful thing. And yet, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're called to see Jesus is better. And the leaders help us do that. Right? I mean, think about that. Where do you feel the pressure to cave in to what our neighbors think that is contradictory to the scriptures. Right? The pressure to change who Jesus is or to change what Jesus has said about what is true and what is good and what is pleasing. Right? It's, it's just in the air we breathe. It's the cultural waters. They say, if you don't believe like us, you can't be with us. To the point where it's scary to talk out loud and acknowledge Jesus' name which is the sacrifice we're called to do here, <laughs> right? So maybe this will help. Think about your grandparents right now, right? If you are the grandparents in the room, I'm not picking on you, but, right, what views did they have that made you cringe when they said it out loud? Or, or if you were to tweet what your grandparents said was true for all people in all times, like, would you ever be allowed back on Twitter again? <laughs> Right? I mean, you start to think about this. Culture is many-colored teaching. It's the style, it's fashion, whatever it may be. It could be views on race, it could be sexuality, it could be religion, it could be politics. But what I know is what everyone believes right now is 100% true. With that 100% pressure to say this is urgent, they're going to be laughed at by their grandkids. Right? I'm going to be laughed at by my grandkids because of the things that I believe that are cultural, right? I mean, even, even the things I believed at 20, now that I'm 40, there are things that make me want to groan and not talk about again. Right? I know, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, <laughs> right? And so the command is, remember your leaders, those who point to Jesus, because they know in the midst of all those changing, strange, diverse teachings in the world, right, they know and are rock solid anchored to Jesus because he doesn't change. And you need leaders to point you to that person, right? Because that's what it says. They, they spoke to you the word of God. They showed you Jesus. They have a way of life that's worth imitating and a faith that is worth imitating. That's a result of them knowing this Jesus who is the same. 
What in particular do you miss if you turn to these strange and diverse teachings? I mean, this is, it says, don't be led away because, or for, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So the writer is cautioning these Christians, don't be led astray by all those swirling ideas out there by the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish practice to abandon Jesus, because it's going to lead you away from grace. Right? And it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not the rituals of food. Right? So one of the ways I think you can apply this is the church needs, and God, Jesus gives, pastors, leaders, elders, who are able to do what the writer of the Hebrews is doing to say don't abandon the doctrines of grace because you only get them in Jesus. Right? Where he's able to say, don't go there because there is not a gracious place to be. You are separated from the grace of God. Right? So we want leaders where they can make that connection, where all the doctrines of grace, of who Jesus is, <laughs> are connected to the person of Jesus and that shapes the way they then love people, right? That they have a a way of life that is worth imitating because they understand grace and its connection to Jesus. I mean, you can, we're in the letter of the Hebrews, grace is all the way through because it's all about Jesus. Well, just pick one place, like the character of pastors that we would want and elders. Uh, Turn to Hebrews 5 if you have your Bibles open. Right, it's a section that's describing what Jesus is like as a, a better high priest, but it starts by describing human high priests. And the high priest's job was to represent God to the people and the people to God. Um, and so this is what it says in verses 1 and 2. It says, For every high priest... Is chosen from, among, chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And this high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. I mean, that... It's a beautiful statement, right, of what you want in a leader, that they can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he knows that he too is a sinner, that I could go that way. And you think about it, there are people in church who break God's commandments because nobody's taught them. They've never been discipled. They just don't know. And there are folks following Jesus who... um, hit a point in their life where they say, I know what Jesus said and I want to do it anyway. That's what it means to, uh, to be wayward, to wander. There are in- intentional sins and unintentional sins and the ideal leader, the ideal high priest, is this person who knows he is beset with weakness as a fellow moral failure and therefore, out of that self-understanding is able to deal gently with restraint, with compassion, uh, for them, right? As, as Eugene Patterson Peterson 
said every congregation is made up of sinners. Everyone. And if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. <laughs> right? And so the way this logic of this text works, if that is true of a human high priest, that he should, right? It doesn't say he is, but that he should be able to be gentle because he was aware of his own weakness. How much more is Jesus gentle with the wayward and the ignorant because he was made perfect through the weakness of his suffering? That's where it goes in chapter 5. This is how Jesus deals with sinners that come to him. He is gentle towards the wayward and the ignorant. All you who read gentle and lowly, right? Those, those words are ringing in your ears. Uh, John Owen, the English pastor long ago, said, Jesus will no more cast off sinners for ignorance and wanderings than a nursing father would abandon a nursing baby just for crying. And that's how it ought to be with a high priest. And so it is with Jesus Christ. He is able with gentleness and meekness, with patience and moderation, to bear with the infirmities, sins, provocations, aggravations, irritations, <laughs> at all those things, of his people, in the same way a nursing father bears with the weakness of a poor crying infant. Right? And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> it is good for the heart to know grace and that grace that comes through Jesus, our high priest. And we need leaders who know Jesus like that and who are willing to embody that gentleness for sinners. Right? That they're gentle with the wayward and kind towards the ignorant. Consider the outcome of their life and their faith. That's part of the call. Right? Go enter into the mess of people's lives and love them. Because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I mean, that's part of the call of a leader in the church in particular, is that while everyone else is just attracted to what the culture says is true and that you have to believe to fit in, we have the audacity to say, no, we're dazzled. Right? Our, our eye, the eyes of our hearts are gripped by, what, by the, the, what sounds too good to be true, the grace and mercy of our God, which is yours forever in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> right? That person who is gentle will always be gentle. See, we need leaders who point us to Jesus and his grace. Right? So that's why we need leaders. Right? That's point one. The whole thing is going to be a justification, but you start thinking about this. In light of all that's happening out there, we need leaders who both know culture and know, know the gospel and are able to help come alongside and say, this is true. You may believe that, but that's junk food. That's not going to help you. It's not going to benefit you. Right? That's the call, to get to know Jesus. Right? And we're prone to get distracted and attracted by other things, so we need leaders to say, don't do that, to call us back, right? to be like a good shepherd. Or as uh, the illustration in the, the reflection, right? you need, need a pastor to be a sheepdog to go run you down because you've gone in the wrong direction. And all they're doing is what Jesus told them to do. Now, let's look at the second point here, right? What, what are the leaders to be like that you're called to obey? 
right? We need leaders that show us Jesus is better. We need Jesus, leaders who know that Jesus is the same. He doesn't change. And I, I think one of the things Hebrews 13 helps us see is we need leaders who model um, a comfort with the gospel to the point where they're willing to go out where Jesus is and bear the shame that comes with associating with him. Right? And this is probably obscured by all this Old Testament imagery. But this is a call to all of us to go out where Jesus is. It says in verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. But we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they're burned outside the camp. And then so, because of that, or look, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Right? The writer of the Hebrews knows who he's writing to, people who are familiar with the scriptures. And he knows his audience, and he knows that they're attracted to the feasts of Judaism, the, the sacrifices, the rituals, in particular the Day of Atonement, where once a year these, the, the, the high priest would sacrifice for his own sin, and then he would take a, a, a goat and pray and lay all the sins of the people on the goat. And then the goat would be killed, the blood would be taken and laid on the altar inside the tabernacle, and then the body would be burned outside the camp, right? And so let's just slow this down and think about the altar in verse 10, right? In, a, in the ancient world, in a typical altar worship service, what is the worshiper doing? They are bringing something to God, right? It's the animal, it's the grain, it's their tithe, right? It's whatever it is, it's to give something to God in order to please him, right? And the writer of the Hebrews is saying that is not how it works for Christians. We have an altar that those going into the tabernacle, participating in those Jewish rites, right? we have a better altar because Christianity primarily isn't about what we give to God, but about the one who was laid on the altar for us. Right? His beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so God gives Jesus to the church, <laughs> to us on the altar of the cross, and, and that's where you find the benefit, seeing the one who dies for you. And those who go into the tent, this, participating in these Old Testament sacrifices, it's no benefit to them if they don't know Jesus. Right? And then it goes into more detail as it talks about these animals burned outside the camp where the blood would be put on the altar and the body would be burned outside the camp. And it says, well, let's think about Jesus again. Where did Jesus suffer? Was it inside or outside? Right? And the answer is he suffered outside the city of Jerusalem just like the animals who were burned outside the camp all in order to sanctify us, his people, through his blood. So let's go where Jesus is. Right, and, and this is the point, this is the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus did. In order for us to get all the way in to the presence of God, Jesus had to be kicked out 
And he went outside the city to suffer the shame and humiliation of being cut off from God uh, on the cross, but also outside the city treated like this corpse of an animal to be burned up like refuse, like trash, right? And so you think about Jesus and, and what he did for you. This Jesus who said to the Lord, the only person who can ever say this with full honesty, Lord, I know sacrifices and offering isn't what brings you pleasure. I have said, behold, I've come to do your will, just like it, it is written in the scriptures, that's Psalm 40. No one in the history of the world has ever been able to say that. But they may have said it, but they were lying, <laughs> right? They never actually accomplished it. I mean, you can read Psalm 119 and it comes close, where it says, I love God's law. I am controlled by God's law. I long to be able to do God's will. But even Psalm 119, the best of us, ends with, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Come find me. And so you look at Jesus, who came to do God's will. He comes to Jerusalem, where God is, where God's people are, where it should be safe, where it should be and it, uh, good for him. And he loved the people. He healed the sick. He prayed for his neighbors. He wept for this city. He poured himself out for ignorant and wayward sinners. And the response of the city was what? You don't belong here. They insulted him. That's what the reproach he bore. Everyone looking at him thought he was a fool on the cross. They would yell, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself? Get yourself down off the cross. If God loved you, he wouldn't leave you there. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Jesus, for all the the perfect loving life he lived, he went outside the city, treated like a criminal, treated like the corpse, the trash, taking our sin with him. Why? To sanctify you. To claim you for his own by his blood. He's not ashamed to be called your God. To call you brothers. So that you and I might become citizens of this city to come. To have hope. Right, it's pretty astounding. I mean, Hebrews 10.14 says that Jesus, by that one sacrifice, which was once for all, all who believe, was so that all those who are being sanctified might be declared perfect. Just let that settle in. For, for Jesus, for God to accept you as perfect, he had to become an outsider so that you could get his reputation as the perfect one and be made an insider in God's eyes and brought all the way in. How? As prophet, he heard, he, he got silence from God the Father so God can speak to us. As priest, he was treated like refuse so that we could get the full honor of being brought into the very presence of God. And as king, he was willing to to die in our place, to be put to shame, to bear the insults so that we might be treated as citizens of his kingdom. He did that for, for all those who were as yet his enemies. All right, that's the gospel. Jesus went outside. Let's go where he is. What does it have to do with leadership? Well, I, th- I think verses 8 to 16 are describing 
It's both calling the church to do these things, but it's also saying, here's the faith of these leaders. Look what they've done in the past. They've gone out where Jesus is. Consider the way they've loved. Consider the way they've loved you and served you. Right? Everyone be like those guys. They say, you go out where Jesus is. Right? And so what we need are leaders who are unashamed of the gospel willing to bear the shame, the insults that Jesus bore because we say to our culture, that is not true. Jesus is, and I can't turn my back on the one who was abandoned by God for me. And if that comes with being an outsider in this world, that's fine because I'm a citizen of the heavenly city. That can never be taken from me. And that is the journey I'm on going from this point as an outsider, but I have Jesus with me on the way to heaven. That's the logic. Right? It's, let's go outside where Jesus is, not trying to be privileged outsiders, but being willing to share in the abuse, in the abuse Jesus received. Because this insider world, that's not our home. Right? We have our eyes peeled on the city to come. And so it's okay to be weird <laughs> to the world. Right? And so for leaders, we need leaders willing to do that, to model that for us, because I don't know how to do it until someone shows me, and when I see someone do it, that gives courage, right? Richard Wormbrand, the, the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, you might, I don't know if you've ever heard his story. He was a Romanian pastor during the, the Soviet Union who uh, refused to, pre to change what Jesus said in order to please the government, and so they threw him in prison for years. And he would say audacious things like the soldiers love to beat us and we love to preach the gospel and they would beat us when we preached the gospel so everybody was happy. <laughs> right? Like it's just, I just don't have a category for that. But the effect on the church, seeing Pastor Wormbrand suffer for Jesus and then being willing to suffer for them meant the church grew because they said, I want to be like Pastor Wormbrand when I grow up because he says Jesus is worth it, and he shows me by the way he lives, right? And so that when he made disciples, he would take these disciples to the local zoo and say, let's go look at the lions. Are you willing to be torn up by the lions? Because that is very possible if you commit yourself to Christ. But he did so with the scars, the wounds on his back as he showed his love for the church, right? Here in America, we don't have that that, that uh, issue, for us, it's the shame of being an outsider. But Jesus was an outsider, and he identified with us, claimed us, so that he might make us an insider with, with our Father. We need leaders who help us do that. All right? And so that's the quality of leaders we need, that they're willing to go outside where Jesus is, willing to love people and bear the shame that comes by identifying with Jesus. Last point here. Uh, let's look at, um, I can't get everything here in the text, but um, the response to seeing Jesus do these things that, that lead you to say his name out loud to other people. That's the sacrifice of praise that you're willing to say, I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus, how, however you put it. That's a sacrifice of praise. You don't have to put yourself on the altar. Jesus was already there. But the sacrifice I give is my reputation and say it's now aligned with Jesus. And that also motivates the sacrifice of giving, of sharing what you had, as you see how Jesus shared. Last point, uh, trusting our leaders, right? 
Because this is the, the thorny part, I think, for us, where it comes to a head in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as to those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. Right? So we've seen we need leaders who help us stay faithful to the gospel. Uh, we need leaders that are willing to go outside where Jesus is to bear the shame. And now this says, how does it work? Well, you've got to trust your leaders in order to obey and submit to them. Because leaders are rulers in Christ's church. They're supposed to give commands, right? But those commands should be biblical in nature, right? Jesus' commands. Um, that's why we call them ruling elders. They run the church. But they're also called watchmen. Watchmen who are under authority, who are keeping watch over your souls. And so the, the portrait is, is that you have leaders. Well, we talked about this in Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel is called a watchman. And it's like, if you're in a city, you want someone to be watching in the dark to know if the enemy is going to come attack and, and either pillage or take or attack and harm. And so if you see an army as a watchman sneaking up on the city and you say silent and people get hurt, who's going to be blamed? Right? The watchman, right? Old night watchman Joe, he's about to lose his job. <laughs> right? It was more, more harsh in the ancient world, probably his head. Right? In the ancient Roman world, if you fell asleep on the job as, an, as a watchman, as a soldier, it was a death penalty. Right? And so leaders like Ezekiel are called watchmen, called to faithfully watch over the souls of God's people, um, to pay attention to what you believe and what you're distracted by willing to warn you when it's going to lead you away from Jesus. Right? And that's the, the haunting thing about being a leader in this passage. Right? It's, not a, it's not a blank check to go lead and do whatever you want. Right? It's you're a watchman and you're going to be held account for how you've served the church. Right? You've got to speak the full gospel. You've got to be willing to warn, to correct, to rebuke, even as you comfort and, and treat sinners with gentleness, whether they're wayward or ignorant. Right? But it's to be with joy, not with groaning. Right? Don't complain about it. Right? It's, when we get together as pastors, it should not just be a whining fest about what's wrong with all of these people in the church, which can happen, and it does happen. Right? I mean, there's a skit on YouTube called Honest Preacher. It's ridiculous. It's silly. And the pastor comes, the organ music's playing in the background, and he opens the Bible, and he gets ready to today's scripture readings from Proverbs, and he just goes, ah, and bangs his head on the pulpit, <laughs> and then throws a temper tantrum, and he's like, you guys, just stop being bad. <laughs> Every day I'm in my office, and you come in, and you're like, oops, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> and he says, Dan, not, not Dan Anderson, Dan Right? Dan is the worst. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say he's the worst, but he's the worst. And I'm making light of a really serious thing, because if you have leaders who are not ready to deal gently with very real people with stubborn hearts and stubborn nature, that's not the leader you want. That's not the leader that Jesus is calling them to be. Right? Because it won't be for your benefit. That's the point. And I, I think 
Pastor Jim said at our annual meeting, right, he, he's heard other leaders say, I just don't want to deal with the mess of my people. They're too messy. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be. Right? The way it's meant to work is leaders are watchmen called to, to pay attention to you. Right? To ask, what do you believe about Jesus? And as your whole life flashes before your eyes, no, we're going to be gentle and not expect you to know all the answers. It's okay. Right? But we ask, what are you repenting of lately? What sins are you battling? What are you struggling to believe? What feels so heavy that you can't keep going? Right? How can leaders weep with you if we don't know what's causing you to weep? How can we rejoice with you if we don't know what you're celebrating? And even if we get in those situations, which they do come, where we all, everyone in the room looks around and say, I can't fix this, which is pretty much our job description, is I can't fix this. We say, well, I'm going to bear this burden with you and stay with you, and we're going to pray and ask God to do something. Because, well, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 6. Right? That's, that's the role of leaders. We're paying attention. And then on the opposite side, somehow in our American culture, leaders ought to be seen and known. Right? Verse 7 says you should consider the outcome of the way of their life, which is a phrase saying observe them closely. Right? You should know us. Right? You get to see us in our battle for belief. Uh, that, that, like, like Eugene Peterson said, right? the worst part is you... This group of sinners also has a center for a leader. Right, we're, we're human beings following Jesus too. But you get to walk alongside us as we, we point each other to Jesus. And you, you, have to, you have to see us for that to be of any use to you. <laughs> Not just in this public setting, but uh, during the week where you can say, what's hard? You can ask the pastor, what's hard for you? Right? How are you processing that? How does Jesus help you when you go through those things? Feel free to fire away. Ask us those questions. <laughs> right? That is the portrait of leadership in the church, to have that kind of face-to-face, elbow-to-elbow. Uh, as Pastor Jim said, right, uh, the shepherds should smell like the sheep. Um, we should be that close, which takes time, for sure. But it's also uh, why this kind of relationship, why the church has practiced membership for centuries. Right? Because how does a leader know who he is going to be held accountable for? Right? Whose soul should I pursue? Right? And, and how would you know who your leaders are and who you should submit to? Right? And it, the early church figured it out. It's a lot cleaner and neater. <laughs> and it's not just practical. It's we've covenanted together. But to, to make vows that, that we're going to be your pastors and, and you will be part of our congregation and we are committed to keep watch over your souls and to do so with joy. And if we aren't doing so with joy, tell us. You have the freedom to tell us. Right? And so, that's the ideal. Right? We have elders who love us, that are given to the church uh, to guide us, uh, to have a faith worth imitating. Pray for your leaders because it is no small thing, even as we pray for you. Um, but the goal is, is that we together as a congregation would go outside, and we'd be willing to be outsiders in the culture for Jesus' sake, and then together 
we go back into the world and love our neighbors. But that gets fueled by knowing Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The hearts that love the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, heard the wonder of what Jesus has done for us, I pray that would grip our hearts, grip our minds. We pray for the elders of Hope Church, uh, Lord, that we continue to be gripped by the gospel and not be distracted by these diverse and strange teachings and that you would equip us to do what you've called us to do, which is keep, keep uh, account of the souls uh, here in, in Boston Spa at Hope Church. And for that, we need your spirit to be at work, uh, both in the church and in the leadership, and that, that you would continue to be gracious to us and show us Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to continue to say, um, where else can we go but with Jesus? Because he has the words of eternal life. So bless us and, and continue to help build faith in the institution and the church that you have given us and that we might honor your name. In Jesus' name, amen.